Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca jsb. If you're a believer, you already have it. If you're not, you really need it. God's forgiveness, it changes everything. And today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to Psalm 33 to share how it impacted King David and how it continues to change lives today. From the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here's David to introduce the conclusion of How Can I Find Forgiveness? Hey, friends, I am so excited about uh, this series, and this particular question um, is is a very serious one, and I'd like to report to you that on page 77 of this book we're offering this month, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, in the chapter on how to find forgiveness, I have listed a whole bunch of things that the Bible says about this. What does God do with our sins? He lays them on His Son, Jesus Christ. He takes them away. They're removed as an immeasurable distance as far as the east is from the west. When sought for, they are not found. He forgives them. He cleanses them away by his blood. He cleanses them as white as snow. He abundantly pardons them. He tramples them underfoot. He remembers them no more. He casts them behind his back. He casts them into the deepest sea. He will not impute us with sin. He covers them. He blots them out. He blots them out as a thick cloud, and he blots out even the proof against it, nailing to his son's cross. Now, what else do you want to know? What else is there to say? There is forgiveness to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done, no matter what you think, God wants to forgive you. And we're going to talk about that some more uh, today on our Turning Point broadcast. But I did want to tell you that that list, along with a lot of other important things, is in this book that we're making available during the month of May. I can't tell you how important it will be to you to have this information in a hardback 230-page book with footnotes. And at the end of each chapter, there's a little study question section. Uh, We didn't produce a study guide. We bound the questions into the text to make it easier for you. So this is a very complete book to help you deal with your questions. It will be wonderful to have it, first of all, to study and then to have it available. And we want to send it to you. All you have to do is send a gift of any size, the best gift you can give during the month of May to Turning Point and ask for your copy of this book and it'll be on its way. Well, here's uh, part two of How Can I Find Forgiveness? God's forgiveness is connective. When you get right with God, you start to find out you're getting right with everybody else. 
we have fellowship with God and then we have fellowship one with another. Two violins that are tuned to the same piano will be in tune with each other. And when we're out of tune with God, we are going to be out of tune with God's people. If you're a husband here and you're out of tune with God and your wife is walking with the Lord in a very spiritual way, you're out of tune with her. You confess your sin and get right with God. It not only tunes you up to God, it connects you with the people who know God as well. This is really kind of the core of what I want you to take away today. God wants us to get this point so much that he gave us five metaphors for forgiveness. Five pictures of what it means to be forgiven by God. And I'm just going to take you through this and I want you to write these verses down because one of these days the enemy's going to come and he's going to tempt you to not think you're forgiven and you need to take him to the word of God just like Jesus did in the desert and say, devil, here's what my Bible says about forgiveness. Are you ready for these? Here's the first one. God's forgiveness is like putting your sin as far away as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Almighty God took your sin when he forgave you, and just like the goat that was sent to the wilderness, he made it go as far away as the east is from the west. Here's the second one. God's forgiveness is like burying something in the deepest sea. Micah 7, 19 says, You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Go to the deepest sea on planet Earth and try to remember how deep it is and realize that Almighty God took all your sin and he buried it at the lowest part of the deepest part of the deepest sea, never to be retrieved. Number three, God's forgiveness is like casting something behind your back. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen says, you have cast all my sins behind your back. What is that meant to convey? That you can't see them. God doesn't see your sin. He's cast all your sin away from his ability to see it. That's a humanism from the New Testament. But it's meant to convey that God takes your sin away. And he takes it all away. And then God's forgiveness, number four, is like erasing something from existence. Isaiah 44, 22 says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgression and like a cloud I have blotted out your sins. God has taken a cloud and he's just taken it and covered all your sins and blotted them out. And then this is the best one of all. God's forgiveness is like God forgetting that it ever happened. Can you imagine that? I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. God does not remember your sin if he forgives you. My friend Max Licato, who has such a wonderful way of making truths like this come alive for us, one of his very earliest books wrote about this very thing that we're talking about. He said, I was thanking the Father today for his mercy, and I began listing the sins he's forgiven. My motives were pure and my heart was thankful but my understanding of God was really wrong. It was when I used the word remember that it hit me. Remember the time, Lord, that I, 
I was about to thank God for another act of mercy, but I stopped. Something was wrong. The word remembered seemed displaced. Then I remembered his words, and I will remember their sins no more. God doesn't just forgive. He forgets. He erases the board. He destroys the evidence. He clears the computer. He doesn't remember my mistakes. For all the things that he does do, this is the one thing he refuses to do. He refuses to keep a list of my wrongs. When I ask for forgiveness, he doesn't pull out a clipboard and say, but I've already forgiven you for that 516 times. No, he doesn't remember. I do, you do, you still remember. You're like me. You still remember what you did before you changed. In the cellar of your heart lurks the ghost of yesterday's sins. Sins you've confessed, errors which you've repented from, damage you've done your best to repair. And though you're a different person, the ghosts still linger. And though you've locked the basement door, they still haunt you. They float to meet you, spooking your soul and robbing your joy. As a result, your spiritual walk has a limp. You're still faithful. You still do all the right things and say all the right words. But just when you begin to make strides, just when your wings begin to spread, just when you begin to prepare to soar like an eagle, here comes the ghost. It emerges from the swamp of your soul and causes you to question yourself. Now, honestly, wrote Lakato, do you think God sent that ghost? Of course not. Do you think God was teasing when he said, I will remember your sins no more? Of course you don't. You and I just need an occasional reminder of God's nature, of God's forgetful nature. Think about this. If he didn't forget, how could we ever pray? How could we ever sing to him? How could we dare to enter his presence in the moment he saw us, he would remember all of our pitiful past? How could we enter his throne room wearing the rags of our selfishness and gluttony? We could not. We are presumptuous not when we marvel at his grace. We are presumptuous when we reject it. And we're sacrilegious not when we claim his forgiveness, but when we allow the haunting sins of yesterday to convince us that God forgives, but he does not forget. I am here to tell you today that when you confess your sin to Almighty God, whether as an unbeliever for the first time becoming a Christian or as a Christian having sinned since you believed, when you confess your sin before God, listen to me carefully, He forgets it. He makes it all go away. He sends the goat into the wilderness never to return. But we don't forget it sometimes, do we? So let's look at this process of forgiveness in verse 5 and see how it works. Verse 5 answers the question, how can I receive the blessing of verse 1? Verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Watch verse 5 as David gives us his three responses. I acknowledged my sin to you. I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions, and then you forgave me. David's three responses to his sin are all wrapped up in the idea of authenticity. 
He has moved away from being silent and hiding his sin to acknowledging, unmasking, and confessing it. When we are honest with the Lord, he promises to hear us. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon your name. Psalm 86, 5. Confession is about naked honesty before God. David knows painfully well how Bathsheba has been manipulated and used, how she's been made a widow and subsequently the bride of her husband's killer. David knows that Uriah has been deprived of his very life. And we must also mention the little boy born to David and Bathsheba who was yet another victim of David's ruthlessness. All of these have borne the brunt of David's sin. But David understands what we must understand. Confession is first directed above. David recognized that at the root of all of his sin, from the pettiest offense to murder and adultery, all of it was an insult to the God who created him and had sustained him every moment of his life. Before the sin claims any victims, it's already been an injury to the person of God. If you sin against me, for instance, I can forgive you personally, but I can't give you that deeper level of forgiveness with God. I can't remove the offense against the Lord. Only he can do that. The world would pressure us to dismiss the category of sin altogether, but there's no way to be made well unless we first acknowledge the reality of what we've done. And apart from this, our situation is hopeless. If you keep posturing, if you keep manipulating what you did to make it look better than it really is before God, you will never sense the reality of his forgiveness. But you can get on your knees before God in the privacy of your room and pour out your heart to him and tell him what you've done and ask him to forgive you, and he will do it. But he doesn't play games. We play games. God doesn't play games. Notice the promise of his forgiveness Finally, in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Blessed is that man. Do you hear an expression of joy in these words? (laughs) The word blessed is another word for happy. Happy are those whose sin is forgiven. The truth here is so incredible, so revolutionary, that your life is bound to be changed forever if you just grasp it. When God forgives us, he welcomes us into his presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. David's words about forgiveness appear in the Old Testament hymn book. It's as if you were to open the hymn book in the church and there in the middle of it would be a psalm on the forgiveness of God. It is a reminder and encouragement to us to sing together with great joy when we come to church. We are the company of the forgiven. Hallelujah. We have something no the world doesn't know anything about. We're sinners, oh yes, but we're sinners saved by grace. We're sinners who have accepted the unbelievable forgetting forgiveness of God. And if that isn't something to make you happy, I don't know what will. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. For David and for us, God's forgiveness turns the burden of unforgiven sin into a joyful song of praise. What a blessing. 
Well, if you are a Christian and you have been forgiven of your sin because you've accepted Christ as your Savior, or if you're not a Christian and you've never done that and you're trying to figure out why can't I get rid of this sense of guilt that I'm carrying around, the forgiveness of God speaks to us in a couple of ways. And so let me just end all of this with two things in sort of a conclusion, if you will. Since God has forgiven us, we must accept his forgiveness. That's all we can do. Periodically, I hear people say this. Well, Dr. Jeremiah, I know God has forgiven me, and my wife has forgiven me, or my husband has forgiven me, but I cannot forgive myself. Now, I've been a little bit hard on people who've said that to me because I usually say, oh, so your standard of forgiveness is higher than God's? But I want to explain to you something that I believe to be true. We aren't called to forgive ourselves. Our job is to confess our sin and receive God's forgiveness. His job is to forgive us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. As far as I know, there is nothing in the Bible about self-forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is something that occurs between two parties. Trying to forgive yourself would be like trying to shake your own hand. You can't forgive yourself. You just, you accept God's forgiveness. You say, well, I'm having a hard time with that. Well, then you don't understand God because God more than anything else wants you to be free of your guilt, free of the sense that you've been wrong or you've done wrong. He wants you to accept what he has done. If you do not accept what he has done, if you do not accept it by thanking him for it and receiving it, you will never be free. It's one thing to believe that he forgives you. It's another thing to receive his forgiveness. Lord God, I receive your forgiveness for my sin. Since God has forgiven us, we have to accept his forgiveness. And for all of us who are believers, here's the hard one. Since God has forgiven us, we have to forgive others. Oh, pastor, did you have to throw that in? Well, let me just tell you, it's on good biblical ground. I'm going to read some verses to you. Listen to this. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The Bible says that all of us who are forgiven were the company of the forgiven. God has given us his forgiveness. And I want you to think about this. He's given us this vast amount of forgiveness for our sin and deposited that forgiveness in our heart. And now he says to us, out of the forgiveness which I have given you, I want you to reach in and take some of that forgiveness and use it to forgive others. That's a hard thing. Somebody's hurt you. Somebody's wronged you. Somebody's divorced you. And you need to forgive them. It's interesting, when I go out on the road to do what I do, some of the things that happened to me, Don and I did something that we will never probably ever do again, but we did it. We did a bus tour that started in Mobile, Alabama and went to northern Miami and we visited 11 bookstores in three days and we signed books and met people. 
And, you know, most of it's really wonderful. But I was in Tallahassee, Florida, and I was signing books, and all of a sudden this guy shows up in front of me, and he already has tears in his eyes. He said, Dr. Jeremiah, I don't have a book, and I don't want my picture taken. But he said, I got in this line to tell you that three years ago, after an event you did, I was mad about something, and I wrote you a really, really nasty letter. You probably don't think I ever get those, but I get some. (laughs) And this letter was cruel. I mean, it was just, you know, it just was cruel. I remembered it. He said, for all these years, all these years, I have had the guilt of what I did, and I've known it was so wrong, and I've carried it. It's made me a miserable wretch. And I just want to get in this line tonight and stand and look you in the face and say, would you forgive me? Please forgive me for what I did. And I hugged him and said, yeah, I forgive you. I really had forgotten about it, except that I probably helped him along because I was preaching one time about forgiveness, and without using his name or identifying him, I told that story, and he heard it on the radio. That must have been a mo- that must have been a very strong reminder to him that he needed to get things right, you know? There's not anything you can ever do to make things right with something that's wrong unless you go and forgive. You say, well, I'm not the one who initiated the problem. That doesn't make any difference. Do it anyway. The Bible says if you're the one who's wrong, you go and get it right. If you're one who's wronged, you go and get it right. It's always your turn. Forgiveness is always the only way. I was preaching at Hume Lake some years ago. I was preaching on forgiveness, and at the close of my message, the guy got up and he walked out. And that's always kind of disconcerting when that happens because he didn't walk toward the restroom. He walked right out the side. Afterwards, he came back in, and I was talking to folks, and he said, I want to tell you something. And he told me that he was sitting there, and he got under such conviction because for 30 years he had not talked to his father. His father had done something that hurt him 30 years before, and they had not spoken one time. And he said, I went and got some change, got the payphone, and I called my dad and told him I wanted him to forgive me for not forgiving him. And he said, we both cried on the phone, and I'm going to see him on my way home. You know what happened that day? Forgiveness happened. And when we forgive someone who has wronged us, we often set them free, but we always set ourselves free. The person we refuse to forgive is usually even unaware of our unwillingness to forgive them. But the bitterness in our own heart is like a poison that continues to eat away at our joy and our happiness. When I forgive someone, I set a prisoner free, and then I realize I was the prisoner. (laughs) When God forgives us and we accept it, we become free of our sin. When we forgive those who have offended us, we become free of our bitterness and we are made whole. The Christian church is the community of the forgiven. All of us have been forgiven. All of us have been forgiven by others. And if we're honest, all of us either have forgiven or need to forgive someone. That's the uniqueness of who we are as the body of Christ. We know how blessed we are because we have been forgiven by God and it sets us free to forgive others even when they do things that hurt us deeply. Have you been fully forgiven? Christ wants to offer you 
the free gift of his forgiveness and he asks you only to reach out and accept it. And if you do that, you can become a part of the community of the forgiven and you will never face your sin again before God. You know, I've been uh, teaching the book of Romans in my church here in San Diego and I just recently taught that passage in Romans 8 that says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the reason for that is you've been forgiven. Friends, I hope these two days of discussion have encouraged you to claim the forgiveness that Christ purchased for you when he died on the cross. Well, tomorrow here on Turning Point, here's one for you. Is there only one way to God? Are Christians arrogant, lacking in humility when they say that Jesus Christ is the only way? Well, Christians didn't invent that. That's what the Bible says. And tomorrow, we'll discuss the importance of believing what the Bible says. Because if you fail to believe it, and you try to find some other way, the end of that journey won't be good. Be sure to join us tomorrow. This is an apologetic question. Is there only one way to God? Tomorrow here on Turning Point. In between then and now, I hope you will find time to order the book that has all of this information in it that we're airing during the month of May. These questions, they're so important, and you need the answers, not just listening to them on the radio. We want to give them to you in print. This 230-page hardback book is our resource for the month of May, which means when you send a gift of any size, you may request it, and we'll send it right to you. See you tomorrow. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. How has your life been impacted by this ministry? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta BC, V4L 2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices, or search in your app store for the keywords, Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here on Turning Point. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game, where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. The well-known comedian Phyllis Diller offered some advice that began constructively. Never go to bed mad, she began. But then she said, instead, stay up and fight. Well, we can only hope Miss Diller doesn't abandon comedy and go into counseling. Better advice is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he began the same way. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger, Paul wrote, period. In other words, don't go to bed mad and don't stay up and fight. Instead, stay up and resolve your anger through love and forgiveness. That's a sure prescription for a good night's sleep. And this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to resolve conflicts on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.